So in, in light of the fact we've got Love Plumstead next week, we're just going to talk really about power to reach the world. And one of the things that God's been restoring to the church over the last 25 years is, is this thing of identity and who he is and who we are. The identity as being um, sons and daughters, the identity of uh, realising that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, lives in you. What Romans says, what an amazing thought that the spirit of God comes and makes his home in the believer's heart and that we carry the third person of the Trinity everywhere we go. God is in us. I mean, I like how Pete Carter says, how does God fit inside you? You know, infinite God makes his home within us. And so waking up to the reality that God is in us is a overwhelmingly crucial reality for going on the streets and seeing breakthrough and going anywhere to see breakthrough, knowing that the God of all wisdom, all provision and power lives in you, and that he can be released as you by faith put your hand on someone and say, be healed in Jesus' name, or have wisdom in Jesus' name, or I release provision to you in Jesus' name, that the God of creation is in us. I remember one story of treasure hunting, we were looking for someone with a double buggy, and we looked for the person with a double buggy for nearly an hour, it was a clue that God had given us, And then right at the end, two minutes before we finished, we found this lady with a double buggy. And we said, we've been looking for you everywhere for the last hour. What do you need? Do you need God to do anything for you? And she said, I need a house. My house is inadequate. It's too small. I think she said she had four or five children. And she said, I've been looking for a house for four years. I've been trying to get a house for four years and nothing has happened. And so we released the reality that we know God is the God of provision and breakthrough. He can provide houses. And we'd seen him do it so many times. Literally ten days later, I'm coming in here for a quiz night. She's waving in the street saying, it worked, it worked. I got a house. I'm moving in in a couple of weeks' time. And it's in the same street as my mum. And then I met her two months later and said, how's your house? And she said, is it just about to move in? The kitchen's being done. And I'm thanking God for it. So she went from, I don't know who God is, I've had a breakthrough from God, and now I'm thanking God because of his provision. So it's a a wonderful opportunity to love people, bless people, and see the goodness of God break into people's lives. You know Superman? Well, you don't know him personally, but you may have read (laughs) comic strips about Superman. Superman is Clark Kent, isn't he, by day, working in the, whatever it is, the Daily Planet. Is it the Daily Planet? It's the Daily Bugle, isn't it, Spider-Man? But I think it's the Daily Planet Superman. By day, he's Clark Kent, and he wears these glasses, and he looks like a mild-mannered, ordinary man. But when there's a, an emergency, or there's a situation, he knows that he's also Superman, and he can go into a telephone box and pull off the Clark Kent, and he can fly. But do you know that if Clark Kent forgets that he is Superman, he can't fly. If he just thinks he's mild-mannered Clark Kent, who's a journalist who works for the Daily Planet, he cannot fly, he cannot have X-ray vision, he's just an ordinary man. Unless someone taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, Clark Kent... You're also Superman. Do you know that? Ah, 
Underneath there you have a blue costume and you can fly. When he wakes up to his identity and who he truly is, then he can fly. And that's what God is doing in the earth today, is waking us up to our true identity. We walked around thinking we're just Clark Kent. Mild-mannered Clark Kent. No power, no authority, no capacity to bring breakthrough or change. Holy Spirit's coming and saying, hey... Same spirit, me, who rose Jesus from the dead, is in you. Taps us on the shoulder and says, yeah, greater things are yet to come. Wherever you go, people can get saved, healed and delivered. You can grow into this reality, into this revelation. It's interesting that in the New Testament, it's absolutely packed with incredible, powerful preachers. You've got the likes of Stephen in Acts 7, one of the great preachers probably in the whole New Testament in terms of Stephen's understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Incredible, incredible, powerful preaching from this guy. Who, remember, in the early church was commissioned to wait on tables. That's what's wonderful about the New Testament. Stephen waits on tables, but also has got power of the resurrection, can heal the sick and preach an incredible, incredible, incredible sermon. Because the New Testament church broke out of boxes. There was Philip, who, who ignited great joy in a place. There was Paul and Peter. And these people preached and articulated a message about who Jesus is, who Jesus what Jesus had come to do, what the cross had achieved, what the resurrection has achieved, and they could articulate it with great clarity. But they were also speaking accompanied by signs and wonders. So we have this early church model that the good news about Jesus is a message that is articulatable. It's a historic reality. It's something that can be communicated in words that... God so loved the world and sent Jesus, God, into the world, incarnation, God becomes flesh, walks among us, talks about the Father, talks about heaven, leads, is led into this amazing moment of Gethsemane where he, he realises, actually, not that he realises then, but he says, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done, I'm going to the cross. And then after three days, raises from the dead. And so they could articulate this message. But even though they could articulate it with incredible power and incredible clarity and incredible anointing, it was also accompanied by signs, miracles and wonders. It's like the words that they spoke, whilst they were anointed and powerful, had to be authenticated by demonstrations of the Spirit's power. That it wasn't just enough to articulate the message, there had to be an authenticity to it, or there had to be an authentication of it, of signs and wonders. If they needed signs and wonders, how much do you and I need to press in for demonstrations of the Spirit's power? They were also an incredible generation. Paul says that 500 people were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. 500 people were wandering around Jerusalem who knew or had seen that Christ is alive or and, and resurrected and obviously has been glorified and gone to heaven. There were people walking around who probably had heard Jesus speak. Maybe people who were 
around when he got crucified and had seen the crucifixion. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses. And yet they passionately prayed, Lord, stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders at the preaching of your word. You would think that generation that wouldn't have needed to press into those things. You think, no, there's enough people who saw, there's enough people who heard, there's enough people who were around. If we could just preach it with clarity and anointing, the people who were there and saw it would join up the dots and come to Christ. But they also said, no, we need this message to have the authentication of the signs and wonders. If they did, so do we. And throughout the book of Acts, Luke, the writer, wants to show again and again how valuable signs and wonders are for winning people to Christ. If you want to look in your Bible to Acts Acts chapter 14 and verse 3. So it says in Iconium in verse 1, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. That God was confirming the gospel with signs and wonders. And Lloyd-Jones, who many of you, you may have even heard him speak and been in the church in Westminster Chapel, says this. He says, It is perfectly clear that in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs, wonders and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant for the truth to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. So we're waking up to our true identity. Sons and daughters brought home to a wonderful father through the finished work of Jesus and that the spirit of resurrection is in us. There are at least 17 times in the book of Acts where miracles help lead to conversions. Signs and wonders are signposts. They're pointing to something. It's like Bill Johnson says, when you see a sign like the exit, you don't pass through the sign. It's pointing. The sign is pointing to something. It's pointing down and saying, to exit this building in an emergency, follow the exits. So signs and wonders, they don't save people, they point people to the authenticity, to the truth of the message. They're they're pointing and saying, this Jesus I've just told you about, he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, he is the resurrected one, he is the glorified one, he is the one at the right hand of the Father, because I've just prophesied something to you that I didn't have any knowledge about. Because... I've just prayed for you and you've got sick. Or you're not sick, you've got healed. (laughs) 
You've got healed. <laughs> Seen that in a little shop on Plumstead High Street, a little glass centre, a guy didn't let us pray a few times, but let us pray and saw pain relief. Mm. He came and did a quote for our windows. He says, I remember you, you prayed for me. Or you, or you were a group who prayed for me. And so there, there's signs that point, that authenticate. So Acts chapter 9 and verse 34. This is Peter praying for Tabitha. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. We've had that prophesied over us as a people. Demonstrative healings, big breakthroughs that get known in an area. I see many people come to know Jesus. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 40. Though we just. Oh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 35. It says, or let's start at 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Annius who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Annius, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Roll up your mat. Immediately, and he's got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So there's proclamation, articulation, anointed communication of who Jesus is, accompanied by signs that cause people to believe the message they've just heard. So signs can they shatter cynicism. Amen. They, shatter, they shatter suspicion. They shatter doubt and unbelief. Even Wacky Evans, one of the leaders in Bethel Church, says, even if, they look at, even if they turn around and say to you, I don't want you to pray for me, the fact they look in your eyes and you believe that they could be healed is a sign to them. There's people on the planet who believe. There's people on the planet who truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and has absolute authority over sickness. Signs and wonders break cynicism, suspicion and doubt. They shatter the, false, they shatter the shell of false religion. You know, you don't have to argue the case with someone about or you say Jesus is this person, I say Jesus is that person. Let's have a debate in the street. I believe he can break through. I believe he can provide for you. I believe this Jesus is God and he can make a way where there is no way. He knows you. 
Remember at one time we did treasure hunting, we had three clues. And uh, we saw this guy who had all three clues all over him. We just went up to him and, and said, you know what, we're looking for treasure, you've got the clues we're looking for. And he, he said in that moment, I was just speaking to Allah. And he said to us, come to my family's coffee place, come and have some samosas and tea. And we spoke and listened and talked. We talked about Jesus. We prayed for his back. But it opened up because God had given some clues and we found him and, and it, it, it touched him. Did it break false religion? Did it bring him all the way to Christ? Not in that moment, but it sowed a seed so that two years later when he saw us again, he smiled because his interaction with us had been a good interaction. Amen. Signs and wonders grab the unbeliever's attention. And the guy yesterday at the wedding from King's Arms was saying he was over in um, a market, felt God give him a prophetic word for this woman, gave this prophetic word for this woman, and she ran off excited. And she brought over her boss and said, do that thing again, do that thing again where you tell me all about my life. Do it for him. <laughs> it grabbed her attention such that she grabbed someone else. Do it again, do your thing again. <laughs> where God is taking us. You're realising the spirit of the resurrected wow. Lord is in us. Amen. Where we're going to do our thing again. <laughs> yeah. The supernatural is normal. That the supernatural in the book of Acts is normal everyday stuff for them. Not just when they gathered but also when they went. The supernatural was crucial for their mission for reaching the world. Here's some examples. In Acts 1, the disciples are talking to angels. In Acts 2, they hear wind, they see fire above heads, they speak in tongues, and they appear drunk. In Acts 4, they are having a prayer meeting and have their own private earthquake. Get filled with the Holy Spirit, receive fresh boldness. In Acts 5, mm. they notice that Peter's shadow heals people. <laughs> Somebody is paying attention. <coughs> Somebody's watching. Well, Peter, I don't know if you've noticed, when your shadow goes over people, they get healed. Acts 7, Stephen sees the heavens open and sees Jesus. Mm. Acts Eight, Philip goes to Samaria. A revival and great joy breaks out. Remember Philip? One of the guys in Acts 6. Waits tables also starts revivals. Acts 8. Philip is instantly transported after sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian. Now he comes across him and then goes, Boom, where's Philip's gone? That's happening now. People, the people now are knowing that kind of thing. One guy stepped into a lift. The lift opens, he arrives in China. Has a meeting with some people in China. Get, wakes up or somehow has the business card from that meeting. Amazing. We have to... Our worldview has to change to understand there is a realm that's invisible that has more substance than the realm we live in. 
Acts 9, Saul sees a light, is blinded, has an encounter with Jesus. Acts 10, Peter falls into a trance, sees a sheep coming down and hears a voice rise up. There's interaction with God within the trance. Acts 10, Cornelius, a Gentile, has an angelic encounter. Acts 12, Peter is in jail and an angel releases him. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in jail worshipping at midnight. There's another earthquake and all the chains fall off, fall off supernaturally. Acts 9, handkerchiefs and aprons have an anointing upon them to such a level that people touched them and got healed. Handkerchiefs. How, how much work is a handkerchief doing to whip up the anointing? Has anybody ever seen a handkerchief? What are you doing, handkerchief? I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling for an anointing. No, what a handkerchief did was it was just on Paul while he worked and it soaked up the anointing of a man, probably working, making a tent, who just loves God and loves the presence of God. And then the handkerchief went off somewhere else and healed people. Okay, so it's not that... It's, if a handkerchief can do it, it can't be that hard. <laughs> Acts 20. Paul, a prisoner is bitten by a poisonous snake and nothing happens to him. So this is normal Christianity. So I want to finish by looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at just how we uh, connect more to the reality that we are called to be naturally supernatural wherever we go. So some truths to embrace, to grow in the spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, verse 1. And about the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, gifts of the Spirit. Not things that are by nature from us, but by nature are the spirituals, as it would have been said. The gifts of the Spirit. Things belonging to Holy Spirit and not belonging to us. We're connecting to the reality of that realm, the realm of the Spirit, and the reality that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in me, and this Holy Spirit wants to give gifts from Him that don't come from us, but come from Him. And that changes things a lot because we're getting something that we don't naturally have that he has the other word there which is obvious is gift literally things of grace things that were not merited not deserved and not earned so it's spiritual it comes from holy spirit and it's a gift undeserved unearned unmerited it's a gift from him so that means whether your week has been an awful week and you think I've really mucked up this week you can still believe for the spirituals because they come to you as a gift I'm not saying that character doesn't matter because it's also true that if we don't grow in character and we just grow in spiritual gifts it can get grotesque that's true too, that you can have people who 
in their character is, is, is not developing, so the way they use the spiritual gifts is not good. But still, it says it's a gift. It doesn't say, get your character to a certain level, and then the gifts of the spirits will be, will be yours. And then it says in 12.5... There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Service. So they are gifts of the Spirit and they are acts of service. The gifts of the Spirit are not about us. They are workings of service for people. The gifts of the Spirit are, are, are never ever to be a platform that we stand on and say, wow, look at the gifts I operate in. Rather, the gifts are a service to people, a service to one another, and a service to the community. We have an obligation, if they can use that word, to press into the spiritual gifts, because the world needs an encounter with who Jesus is, and the authenticity that he is the Christ, that he is alive, and he has risen from the dead. So we need them so that we can serve people really well. And the gifts of the Spirit are not for just when we gather, they're also for when we go. That the early church had the gifts of the Spirit for going, not just for gathering. Bill Johnson says, Releasing the supernatural is more than just experiencing a realm that we cannot see. It's about walking in the faith and understanding that our role on the planet is to release our experience and faith to others. It's a service thing. I have this so that I might be a service to the people, so that I might serve them, that they might have an encounter with Jesus, not just so that we might feel, yeah, I've got a platform to stand on to say that I am spiritual. It's a working. It says... It's an act of service, um, and it says in verse 6 of 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of working. What does that mean? It means that these gifts of the Spirit um, are producing tangible results of God working. That nothing, it's like nothing is happening, nothing is happening in a conversation, then Wow, boom, the Spirit gives a word of wisdom, of revelation, of understanding, of faith, and suddenly God is working, and then that next thing, of is is, there's a manifestation of God. The gift demonstrates and reveals God. Kevin Dedman talks about doing um, treasure hunting, and he says, we were treasure hunting, and it was 11 o'clock in the morning, and God had led us to a pizza place, conveniently. 11 in the morning, goes to the pizza place and says, we're on a treasure hunt, we've got some clues, um, we'd like to talk to you about G- Jesus. People don't really want to hear. She says, go away, I-, I don't really want to talk to you, we're opening, I'm not interested. And then suddenly out of his mouth he says this, God wants you to know that you're a good mother. And she hadn't been think- he hadn't been thinking that. Suddenly he says, word, he'll have his word. (laughs) Suddenly he's got a burst of energy, a manifestation of God, and now he's saying, God wants you to know you're a good mother. She absolutely breaks down in tears and is overwhelmed because that week her daughter had tried to commit 
suicide and hadn't died, but she'd thought in her head, I'm a bad mother. This is my fault. And then God brings people to this place and says, I want you to know you're a good mother. That accusatory word is not true. And then she comes to Christ. Her husband comes to Christ. Because there's this spiritual gift Boom, I've heard God. There's an act of service. Um, He's not treasure hunting because he needs a platform. There's a working. There's a burst of divine energy. There's a tangible result. The gift manifests and reveals God at work. And that's what we're growing in. That's what we're learning. That's where we're going. So let's land this. Application then. Faith is believing you have something before you see it or before you have it. That's faith. Faith is, I believe I carry the substance of heaven wherever I go, and that the spirit of the resurrected Christ is in me. And it's believing that before you see the manifestation of that. It's believing that, though. If I lay my hands on the sick, they will recover. If I lay my hands on the blind, they will see. If I lay my hands on the deaf, they will hear. If I lay my hands on the dead, they will rise. If I lay my hands on, on, on skin disease, it will be cleared. It's believing I have it before I see it. That is the definition of faith. It doesn't take faith to see it first and then believe it. It takes faith to believe it and then do it just on the basis that you believe it. Even if it's with fear and trembling, doubt. It's one lady's story. She's from New Zealand. Her mum is seriously, seriously sick. And mm-hmm. she'd longed for God to heal. I think she'd had a stroke, something really significant and serious. And a few of her friends go to the church in Bethel and do the School of the Supernatural. And they say to her, you should come too. And she thinks, she goes there. And she's so full of really unbelief and cynicism and scepticism about what's going on. She says, I'm not sure. When I pray for people, are they just telling me what I want to hear? You know, when I pray for them, they say I'm better. Are they just telling me that so that I'll go away more happy? And then she says, I'm I'm on this journey with God, I'm on this journey, I'm on this process with God of of, of learning to trust him. And she's in a coffee shop, just sitting with God and talking and journaling. And a lady gets wheeled in, in a wheelchair. And she hears Holy Spirit say, pray for her. And she hears his voice and thinks, I'm going to go and pray for her. And she walks up to the woman And all that emotion and warm, fuzzy faith is gone. (laughs) It's just her and the woman in a wheelchair. And she talks and she prays for her. And the woman is wheeled out and she goes back and has her coffee. That night, there's a ping on her phone and there's a video on the phone. Ten minutes later, she's running around the car park. She's completely healed of this very rare, it's kind of like a nerve-ending damage kind of sickness that had gone and come back. And she gets to see the video of what God has done. Many times we don't get to see. You know, we don't always get to see the miracle and the breakthrough. 
And then there's another video about the same story on the other side of it. The woman the day before had been asking God, you've got to meet with me. You've got to break through. I can't even hold my daughter. I need a breakthrough, God. I need you to heal me. And God divinely brings the two together the next day of a woman who's got full of unbelief, cynicism, is on a journey of believing who she really is, and a woman who needs a desperate breakthrough. There's a gift of the Spirit, the gift of mountain-moving faith. Something could happen. Something could happen. Go over. That is not an emotion. That's a gift that gets her off her chair to the woman where who he is in her gets released through her just simply laying her hands on him. It's not who she is. It's who he is in her. There's an act of service. I'm just going to love this woman in front of me. There's a divine burst of energy. There's a tangible result. There's a manifestation. Faith is believing you have something before you see it. It's not that she got out of her wheelchair and then she saw it. She had to do something that took risk and courage. Wendy Backland says, whatever we value, we will see more of. If we begin to value the spirit realm, we'll see more of it. Even though we may not be able to see, hear or feel initially, we believe because the word says that the supernatural is present. Feed yourself on the supernatural. Paul says, eagerly desire, especially, especially that you might prophesy. Eagerly desire all the gifts, but especially that you might hear God for people. Most of us don't step out because we don't think we have enough. We don't think we have enough now. We think, I'm just one encounter away from having enough. I'm just one impartation away from having enough. I'm just one meeting where the anointed man or woman might call me out and might prophesy over me and then I'll have enough. I'm just one course away from having enough. But Jesus said, you only need a mustard seed of faith to move mountains of impossibilities. He, only, he said, you only need a tiny little bit of faith, as long as it's faith in the right place. Yeah. You could, if you've got a lot of faith in yourself, it's not going to move any mountain. <laughs> See, often we struggle to step out and step into risks because we look inwards. Mm-hmm. And we look around, I want to find some faith. Uh, is there any faith in here? Do I feel faith? Do, can I feel something? I don't seem to have enough. If we look inwards, we'll always be discouraged. Yeah? But if we look upwards and say, I choose to believe I am who you say I am. And you are who you say you are. That you don't just heal, you are the healer. And that when I go up to somebody and say, in Jesus' name, I release who you are into that situation. Bill Johnson says it's like the Holy Spirit is locked up in in believers' hearts. He's locked up and wants to get out and wants to change the world and wants to bring revival and wants to change households and circumstances and businesses. But he's locked up in an unbeliever's heart. I say unbelievers, I think it's unbelief that holds him in. Oh, what if nothing happens? What if something happens? 
What if something happens? Oh, I don't want to embarrass you, Jesus, by making too many big claims about you. Because what, what if you don't turn up? Well, that's his business what he does. Our business is the faith end of it that I'm going to believe, I'm going to step out, I'm going to risk, I'm going to cross the chicken line, I'm going to do something I haven't done. In Luke 6, 38, Luke 6, 38 says this, and we know this verse because we often use it in the context of, of giving financially, it says, give and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, Shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We we grow in these things by stewarding what we've already got. That we've got the little, we think, I've only seen bad backs healed, or I've only seen a a woman get a a house, I'm not going to steward that. And... As we steward that and give that away, more gets added, more gets pressed down, we grow in more. There's something about stepping out, there's something about opening our eyes and seeing the sicknesses and seeing the things around us. Jesus says, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And so we can know, as one great preacher says, if I see a man in a cast on his leg and it's broken, I know there are no casts in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And so he goes boldly to pray for the broken legs and pray for them. And and sometimes when we step out into something, it it moves us. I get get moved, I don't know why, by people in leg braces. I think I just kept putting them on my treasure map. I want to find people with leg braces and go up to them and ask them, what happened to you? And believe that God can, can put bones together. That whatever we give away increases and grows. Yes. It's like weightlifting. And if you've gone to the gym, you go to the gym once, you think, you know, you go there with the, your, your, your summer body picture, and you think, right, this summer, going to the gym, and you think, I'm going to get that from one workout. You know, I'm just going to lift one weight and I've got it. It doesn't work like that in the natural, does it? Or I want to learn violin and I'm, I'm going to be a virtuoso violin player. You know, they talk about 10,000 hours of doing something. But in the gym, each workout builds on the next workout, builds on the next workout, builds on the next workout. It's a process, it's a journey. And then it's true that when we shrink back, and shrink back as I, I, I stepped out before and I got burnt and it was difficult and it was awkward and I didn't see what I hoped to see and I, I felt embarrassed and I thought you were going to do something, Jesus, and... You, you, you didn't seem to back me up. We bring that to him and say, I'm not accusing you of anything because I know you're the healer, but it just felt that when I stepped out, I expected more. <laughs> I thought you were with me. And then we find, well, actually, we're pulled back and we've hidden and we, we've got more and more timid. And we need to say, no, I'm building the process again. And they say muscles have got muscle memory. Mm. They remember. Muscles remember the workouts. They remember the routines you've done so that when you go back you can quickly get what you stopped having back again very quickly and so that that place we got to in God where we've shrunk back to we actually can get there really quickly and start saying no I'm going to give it away I'm going to give it away I'm going to give it away it's going to pray for us 
bear that in which next Saturday, 10.30 here, there's a tangible opportunity to step into something. That when you hug people on the line, I'm not just hugging them, I'm believing that who he is in me is going to touch them. I'm believing for, I, lo- I just love how Kevin Dedman says it, word, I'm going to hear something, I'm going to know something, I'm going to speak something, I'm going to talk something over their life, it's going to wake them up. Those who are going out prophesying and saying, can I give you a word of encouragement? Um, I'm going to speak things in that open things up for people. We're going to find treasure. We're going to give chocolates away and read the card over their shoulder and say, do you really know that? That he loves you? Do you really know that he's for you? Do you know that he's a good father and wants to bring you home? Next Saturday is a really great opportunity to, as it were, go into God's gymnasium and begin to stretch. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the reality of the, of the spirit realm. We thank you for the reality of, of you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, undeserved, unmerited, unearned. And God, we thank you that if a handkerchief can do it, so can I. (laughs) If a handkerchief can soak up an anointing and heal the sick, so can I. And we believe that we've been in your presence this morning. We believe that God, we've soaked something up of of who you are, that we've been touched by God, and that where we go... (laughs) impossibilities can move and that we choose not to look inwards and say do I have enough Mm. choose to believe I am enough because of who you are and who you are in me so we can move mountains of impossibilities because of who Christ is in us right now